Every one of us in this room, right, we know this, every one of us stumbles. All of us trip up and mess up. Every one of us staggers and we sometimes feel like we fall in our lives. And of course, that is true of all people, no matter what they're like or where they're from. And it's still just as true of those of us who are Christians. We mess up all the time. And we do so, yes, sometimes with bigger and more obvious sins, sins that you probably know you struggle with, sins that you might even be thinking about right now. But also the fact that we stumble doesn't just include the bigger, more obvious sins. Because what if, if what it means to live a life without stumbling would be walking with the Lord and peace and joy and love toward him and love toward others, then falling away from that path occurs not only in big ways, but in little ways too. Right? For example, we stumble when we're just plain selfish. Or, or we stumble when we're simply weary and, and we say hurtful things to others. Or, or we stumble when we don't really love another person well. Or we stumble in our frequent God-belittling thoughts that just happen in our minds. Or we stumble just in the ways we don't sacrifice for our families or our kids. Or we stumble in judgmentalism towards others or pride in looking down on certain people and thinking we're just kind of better than them. Right? And the list could go on and on and on. And that's because, again, we all stumble a lot. Right? I bring that up here this morning because this fact of stumbling is the backdrop to this passage in Hosea 14. And you can actually see this for yourself in the fact that this word stumble shows up in the first verse and the last verse of this chapter. Because in verse 1, God is clear to Israel, quote, you have stumbled because of your iniquity. And then in the final verse here, in the final line of all of Hosea, you can see in verse 9, the Bible talks about how, quote, transgressors stumble. And so that's the backdrop to this passage, sinners stumbling. And at the time, remember, when this was written in history, as we've been talking about in this series, Israel was stumbling a lot, in a, as a lot, in a lot of ways as a nation. They were forgetting God. They were turning elsewhere. They were not following God's ways. They weren't remembering God's mercy and love and a lot more. And all of that was a big deal. And so that's the, histet- the setting historically here. But then also, again, for us, we too stumble, <laughs> in similar ways to Israel and in our own ways. And so the question then is, well, what then should we do with our stumbling? Or specifically thinking about chapter 14 here, if the issue of stumbling is the backdrop to this passage, then what's the main idea of this passage? Well, you you probably already figured that out by seeing maybe the message title or just hearing that in the scripture reading. Because it shows up in the first words of this chapter and that's how we should return to the Lord. Return to God. And that same word for return there in the Hebrew could be translated as repent or just turn in general. And so this is a passage in God's word about sinners like you and me repenting, returning, coming back to the living God. And and if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, or even if you're here and we're glad you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm, I'm sure you know that this idea of sinning and returning back to God is basic to the Christian message, right? It is what God calls us and every person to do because fundamental to the Christian message is we have turned from God as we are not right in ourselves, but we should go back to God in Jesus, 
And so we know that, and that in some ways is foundational to Christianity. But still, I, I do think that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what that really means. Because to be honest, when we hear this idea of returning to God, and especially when really any other religion in the world teaches something similar and uses that language, what we naturally think of is, okay, I'm a sinner, and so I need to now go back to the one who made me by being much better myself. Meaning, we just naturally think returning to God or repentance is mainly about us being bad and us feeling sorry and us just needing to be better. That is basically what every other religion in the world teaches and that's a big part of just the world's idea of life. But that's not mainly Christianity and that's not actually at the heart of the Bible's view of repentance or of returning to God. Instead, the Bible's view, meaning God's view, is different and more, and more beautiful. Because if returning to God is mainly about us returning and us feeling sorry and us somehow just being a lot better and different, then there's actually little hope. But if our returning to God is more about God, meaning more about the God we're returning to, then there's hope. <laughs> And hope in him and who he is and not mainly in us. And really that's in a nutshell what we're going to be seeing this morning. We'll talk about our returning, our repenting, and what it looks like to return to God. But really we're going to focus a lot on the God that we are returning to. And so for everyone here this morning, let me just say, if you have ever kind of wondered what repentance actually is, or what that word means, especially because it was Jesus himself, you might know this, who used that term a lot, as Jesus' basic message was, quote, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so if you're here and you've ever really wondered what that really means to repent, to return to God, Hosea 14 will be really helpful this morning. But all that then, church, finally leads us to our outline of how we're going to go now through this chapter of Hosea. So to break this chapter down, what we're going to see is there's very clearly three sections here in this chapter. Three sections, and they'll be our three sections together as well. And as for what they are, first, we'll begin by asking the question, what does our returning to the Lord look like on our part? And that'll be verses 1 through 3. And then second, we'll follow that up with another question by asking, and what does our returning to the Lord look like on God's part? And that's actually quite important. And it's really the final climactic verses about God in this whole book of Hosea. And that'll be verses four through seven. And so those two questions will be our first two sections. But then finally, in our third and last section, in verses eight and nine, we all ask a question. Instead, then we'll simply see God end this whole book of Hosea by giving a final appeal to Israel, to us, and to really the whole world to return to him. So third, a final appeal. And so those are our three sections. First, what does our returning to God look like on our part? Second, what does it look like on God's part? And then third and finally, just a concluding appeal to anyone to really return to the living God. But all that said, let's dive in together, brothers and sisters, and we'll start with that first section. And again, here we are asking that question, what does our returning to the Lord look like on our part? And we'll be in verses 1 through 3. And to begin on this section, we'll first just read all these verses, and then we'll come back and talk about them and how they reply to us and our returning. So look down in your Bibles, Hosea 14, verses 1 through 3. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. 
For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with your words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Accept what is good and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses and we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. So so in verse 1 there, once again, you see the topic sentence of this whole chapter. It's what Israel was to do. It's what we are to do when we stumble. Return to the Lord your God. But then what does that look like on our part? Well, that's where verses 2 and 3 come in. And we can almost call what we're about to see here in these verses three crucial aspects of our returning to God. Three crucial aspects of our returning to God or our repenting. And they're all a bit different, but you'll see what I mean. So three crucial aspects of our returning to God. And the first is just in all of verse 2 there. And I do think that this aspect is the main or sometimes maybe the only thing that most people think of when they think of this word repentance. And what is it? Well, as you can see in verse 2, it's basically asking for forgiveness and accepting now the sacrifice we have in Jesus. Because in short, that is what we see in verse 2. Because notice, in verse 1, Israel's told to return. Because they stumble, like you and I do. And so what comes in verse 2? Well, quote, take with your words and say, take away all iniquity. Meaning, take your words and speak to God and ask for forgiveness. Right? And then that line, accept what is good, is saying, basically, God, accept what I'm trying to do good here in my returning back to you. And then finally, the quote, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips meant back then, and will sacrifice to become acceptable. But now we know that the final sacrifice for forgiveness has happened in Jesus and the cross. And so in brief, that is the first major aspect of our returning to God. And now there is more to come, but to be clear, that is a huge part, right, of this whole concept of returning to the Lord, of repentance. Because to repent, to genuinely return to God according to the Bible is, yes, we must realize that we have sin that genuinely needs to be given and we must go to the living God, to Jesus, and embrace what he did in his life, death, and resurrection for our forgiveness. We must trust Jesus for forgiveness. That's foundational. And that's what we see there in verse 2. And so what more could then be said about our returning to God? Well, that's where verse 3 now comes in. And now here we'll see two more aspects of our returning. We'll begin with most of verse 3, but not all of it yet. So look down to your Bibles again for a reminder. We'll read most of verse 3 except for that last line. They continue on, Assyrius shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. We'll stop there. So, so one commentator I read this week said concerning Israel back then and their stumbling, he said, quote, the two main areas of sin for them were number one, the nation's failure to trust in God for political guidance and protection, and number two, the worship of pagan gods, which, which quickly is interesting for us, isn't it? Because even for us, we too struggle with looking elsewhere than God in life And even and maybe especially in these days with what's going on in the world and political issues. And number two, although we don't explicitly probably worship other pagan gods, as we've already talked about in this series, we too have our own idols that we struggle with. And so we aren't that much different than Israel back then. That's because honestly, people over the ages in our sin, we haven't changed that much. 
But anyways, that, that's what was going on with Israel back then. And I bring that up because that applies here now in verse 3. Because in verse 2, they ask for forgiveness. But now what happens in verse 3? What's the second aspect of our returning to God? Well, it's acknowledging and turning from those specific sins. Right? You can see that. And especially, it's turning away from our lack of trust in God and our lack of love for God. Lack of trust in God and lack of love for God. Because not having that trust and love is why those sins creep in in the first place. When I say trust and love, because that's really what's going on here. Because each one of us has different stumblings and things that lead us away from the Lord. But in the end, if you think about it, so much of it really does boil down to a lack of trust in God and a lack of love for God. Because as for Israel back then, they, they trusted in external political things to rescue them, right? And, and in Assyria, and they didn't trust in the Lord. And then they loved their idols and, and didn't love the Lord as he deserved, which affected their love for others as well. And for us, when you do boil it down, so much of our stumbling is similar. We don't, we don't trust the Lord like we should. And then so much of our stumbling is because we don't, as Jesus commanded us, love the Lord our God with our, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And therefore, the second main aspect of our returning to God is saying, God, this is me. Yes, I, I do need forgiveness, but also I am sorry for this way I haven't trusted you. For that way I haven't loved you. I, I turn away from that. Which then leads to the third aspect of our returning to God. And I do think that this is the most beautiful out of them all. And I say that because in verse 3, you might have noticed, the final line almost comes out of, out of nowhere. <laughs> Because so far, if you're tracking concerning the question of what is returning to God on our part, it's number one, asking for forgiveness and embracing Christ. Number two, it's confessing our lack of trust and love for God. And we get that. But now, in God's inspired word, notice the last line of verse three. And we'll read all of verse three again, just so you feel how this kind of comes out of nowhere about how beautiful it is. Verse three, Sirius shall not save us. We will not ride on horses and we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. <laughs> That's a beautiful last line, isn't it? It's so po poetic because what is returning? What is repenting? It's feeling sorry. It's asking for forgiveness. It's looking to Jesus. It's confessing our lack of trust in God and love for God. But then finally, and this is huge, it's also having a heart attitude in all of that where you say, but in you, God, the orphan like me, because I am acting like an orphan. I haven't been acting as your child. In you, the orphan finds mercy. That's part of our returning to God. It's in all of what we've been talking about. Also thinking, yes, I'm a sinner, but also I know you are really a God of love and mercy. I'm like an orphan in my sinning, but I'm coming to you, God, for your love and your mercy because that is who you are. And so that's our first question answering. What does our returning to God look like on our part? And I, and I hope that does help us all in this room, help us answer what we should each do when we stumble and we want to return to the Lord. Because everything in verses 1 through 3 applies first just in general to our lives and our whole, our whole view of the Lord and how we first return to the Lord when we trust in Christ and become Christians. But then also everything we just read applies to us as Christians concerning any way that we stumble. 
right? Whether it be a clear sin or whether it might just be a, a slow wandering away in apathy concerning the Lord. Or whether it be something like a lack of love for someone else or a lack of desire for God or any number of things, still in the end of returning to the Lord is what we just saw. Asking forgiveness for forgiveness. It's clinging to Jesus. It's confessing our lack of trust and love in God. And in it all, it is knowing that the living God is a God in whom we certainly do find mercy. And so practically, before we do even move on, I do hope that maybe each of us in this room this week coming up do take what we just saw in Hosea 14 verses 1 through 3 this week and we apply it. Right, because, because let me promise you something. This week, you and I will stumble right, frequently. We might not know how, but we will. And so I hope this week what we can do is just take even what we've just already seen in verses 1 through 3 and consciously, practically return to God when that happens. Knowing the gospel of Jesus, knowing that God is merciful towards us in Christ, all because, as verse 3 says, in the living, loving God, the orphan, like us, finds mercy. So that's returning to God on our part. That's not all this passage offers us. It could have stopped there, but instead, concerning this idea of returning to God and repenting, we should and often, yes, talk about us in that, but also a lot less talked about when we talk about this topic is God in all of this. Which leads now to our second section where, again, now we're asking, and what is our returning to God on God's part? And for this, we're now in verses 4 through 7. And this really does matter. Because remember, we're talking about returning to God. And so yes, we do verses 1 through 3. But the question then is, but then does God give us any hint of what he's like if we do all this? And, And of course, yes, he does. All over the Bible. But especially he shows us in a precious way here in Hosea 14. And as you'll see, as we're, what we're about to read in some ways does blow into pieces our, our, our common misconception of God being this distant, harsh, unrelenting God. Because instead of that, now notice what God says right away in Hosea 14. So look at your Bibles, the next verses, verses 4 through 7. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. So concerning everything there, we can really boil down all that to two things on God's part concerning our returning to him. Two things on God's part. The first is just in that verse 4, second verses 5 through 7. So let's begin again in verse 4 because now here, for the first thing concerning God's part in our returning, what we see there is God says very clearly that he will heal and he will love and forgive. He'll heal He'll love, he'll forgive. And each of those is so precious. To to begin, notice, concerning God's response, it all begins with, I will heal their apostasy. And that word apostasy, maybe isn't the best translation, because in the Hebrew, that actually is just a word which means turning, which is what apostasy traditionally means anyway. And so it's just 
the word for turning. And so this is a word play on the idea of returning. Because we've turned from God and now we're trying to turn back to him. And what God then does is he heals our original turning away. He restores us. And then he says next, quote, I will love them freely. Not with hesitancy, but freely. And literally, that word does mean freely, but to explain this, other translations paraphrase this as, quote, my love will know no bounds, or, quote, I will love you without limits, because that is what's getting across here, right? We're wandering, and then we return to God, and then in that, God responds with loving us without limit, and quickly, just making this really personal, I hope you know that that promise especially from God here, that that statement from God to to you and I, I love you freely, that that particularly is precious. Because think about it, when we think of repentance, we tend to think of, yes, us returning to God, and yes, God forgives us in Jesus, but then when it comes to God, don't we tend to think that after all of that, Because we have so turned from him. And because we do it over and over, then God must be somewhat more limited in his love toward us. (laughs) I think that's how we often think of God. And we think that way because that's often the case in human relationships. right? Because often, sure, someone forgives us, but then they can be much more guarded, much more limited in their love toward us because we've wronged them but not so with God. (laughs) Because right away here, God clearly says, I will love them freely, (laughs) without bounds. God wants that to be clear. In Jesus Christ, he loves you without limit. (laughs) Which then finally on this verse leads to that last line of verse three where God says he'll do this because his anger has turned. Meaning he really has forgiven. And we now know because of the gospel that the living God can remove his anger that our sins deserve from us because Jesus really died for those sins on the cross. They are paid for and gone forever. And so that's just verse four. And that's the first thing, if you will, concerning God here in our returning. He really heals. He really loves freely. He truly forgives. But that's not it concerning God. Because then comes the lavish, verses 5 through 7. So the relationship is restored beautifully in verse 4. We're healed, loved, forgiven. And I do hope you really know that, that as a Christian, that really is God towards you in your stumbling. Christ died to secure that, so we need to believe that. But then what? Well, God does not even stop there. Because then in verses 5 through 7, what we see is after that, God so blesses his people who have returned to him. And specifically, he blesses his people by making them grow. By promising not just to love and forgive us, but he changes us. And he makes us flourish. And so look down at verses 5 through 7 again, just to see this again for yourself. And yes, this applied to Israel back then, as, as they were waiting for the new covenant to come. But this also now applies to us, who are in the new covenant in Christ. Verses 5 through 7 again, just hear what the Lord says. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take roots, root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. 
So, so God starts there by saying he'll be the dew, like the dew. And why? Well, so that his people will grow and flourish. And on that, just notice all the verbs that God decides to use to illustrate this for us, to show that he'll really do this for us and that it's good for us. Because after we return to God and he heals us, forgives us, loves us, he then enables us to, quote, blossom and take root and spread out and flourish. And then he even uses analogies here that our beauty will be like the olive, our fragrance like Lebanon, which had a lot of trees and wine. And then our fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. And why? Well, again, because God, after forgiving us and saying he loves us, he doesn't then just leave us as forgiven neutral blobs. (laughs) Rather, and, and believe this church, those God forgives He is totally for. (laughs) And so he becomes our due. Or as you can see in verse 7 there, those God loves and forgives become as those who dwell underneath his shadow. And there underneath God's shadow, we're changed. And there is where we flourish. And now more, of course, could be said on that. But in short, I hope you know that is also our God in our returning to him. And I I hope we know this because we can so often talk just about forgiveness, which is needed and absolutely good. But then we can forget that our God, he doesn't just forgive us and take us in. But then he, he so loves us once we're taken in by eventually changing us for the better. And this should make sense because remember, after all, this is the same God who created us, quote, very good as we read about in Genesis chapter 1. And so all this talk of blossoming and flourishing is just him making us the way we're supposed to be. And so this makes sense. Because God loves us, he's going to restore us who we were made to be, but even better. And for us as Christians, we should know that he does do this in a way every single time that we fall into sin. He forgives us and and by the Holy Spirit within us, we slowly are being made to look more and more like Jesus. We are being sanctified, but also, and maybe more ultimately, we should read passages like this in verses 5 through 7 and think, this is our future. (laughs) Because, Because I hope you know, eternity will be knowing this God and being loved by this God and worshiping this God, but also in all of that, Man, we as individual people, as God's people that he created and loved, and we are going to be changed and we are going to flourish. More than we can even imagine and more than we were even meant to be originally. And so that is most of Hosea chapter 14, church. And that in a nutshell is what the Bible means by repentance and returning to God. And before we do move on then to the final appeal, I hope we do see just the beauty of what we just read in verses 1 through 7. Because again, we do all stumble. But again, the question then is, but what do I do when I stumble? Right? What, what do you do? Right? Do, do, do you just pretend it's nothing? Right? When, you, when you know it's not? Do you put your hopes in yourself that you won't stumble again, though you know you will? Because you've done so over and over. Do you blame others? Do you feel hopeless? Or do you return to God? <laughs> Because God's word is saying here, returning to God is possible. It is what's best for us. And when we turn to God, yes, he does see our sin. 
even more than we do. And yes, he doesn't pretend like our sins don't matter because they do. But the living God does forgive. He does heal. He does love freely, without bounds. And then he even goes further than that and makes it clear that once we have returned to him, he is so for us and so for our flourishing in Jesus now and especially forever. Which all finally leads us to our third and last section in the concluding couple verses here in all of this book of Hosea. Now here again, we're not going to ask a question. Instead, what is kind of interesting is that now here in chapter 14, this ends and really all of Hosea ends basically with a final appeal to therefore return to the Lord. And as you see, I think this is an appeal not just to Israel back then and not just to you and I, but really it's an appeal to anyone anyone in the world at large. And you'll see what I mean. But first, let's just read this. Look down at your Bibles, the last two verses of the book of Hosea, verses 8 and 9. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. And the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. So as you can see in, in verse 8, that's technically addressed to o, o Ephraim, which was another name for Israel. But then that final verse 9, the appeal does go to whoever. And that's why I think this applies to Israel, to us, but then really to, to whoever. To anyone in the world at large. And now as for what the appeal is, in short, this appeal has... You know, two features to it. Two features. One in verse 8, one in verse 9. Because to begin in verse 8, notice God starts with this discussion of idols. Asking the question to anyone, what have I to do with idols? And he asks that because then he's clear that he's the one who looks after you and answers you. Not idols. And not only that, but then he goes even further pointing out that he is like an evergreen cypress. And from him comes your fruit. Meaning from him comes all the good things that we enjoy. And to really bring this home, perhaps most interesting on this verse 8 is that in the historical context back at this time this was written, Israel back then was struggling with worshiping the pagan god Baal. And Baal specifically, as you may know, was the Canaanite god of fertility and weather. Meaning at this time in history, Israel was struggling with, was stumbling over Another way, essentially, of viewing the world with this idea of Baal. They, they were st starting to believe a view of the world where the, where the living God wasn't in total control. Instead, they started to believe, sure, the Lord God might be a God, but they started to think that the one who really controlled the weather and fertility and therefore things like having fruit was, wasn't this Lord God, but it was Baal. And so God is essentially saying here, no, I am God. I alone, not Baal. And the appeal then is, the appeal is return to me by knowing that, by believing that. And I bring that up because really for us and, and for the world, this, this same option, if you will, of viewing God and viewing this world of ours still exists today. Be because to apply verse 8 to you and I then, the question is, do we truly believe that the living God, Jesus, that he is God? That, that he's the one who looks after us. That from him come all good things. Or maybe do we acknowledge him somewhat with our lips, but then we have our own bales, 
our own gods of fertility. Meaning when we think of our lives and the world and what happens in our lives and in our world, do we believe God is God and give him the glory or not? That's the question. That's the choice for each of, for each of us to make. And how we answer that will really have impact on if we truly return to God. Which finally leads to verse 9, which is not only the last verse in this idea of returning to God, but the whole book of Hosea. Now the appeal gets broader than to just Israel. We'll read it one last time. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. And so what's the appeal here? Well, before in verse 8, the appeal was basically, know that I am God. But now here, it's such an interesting way to, to end this chapter and to end this whole book of Hosea. Because now here, this is, you can see, is an appeal to wisdom. It's an appeal to having discernment. It's an appeal to truly think about all this and come to a right understanding. And again here, like in verse 8, we have essentially two options, two options. Because option number one would be to, to kind of totally disregard all this. Disregard all of what we've seen in Hosea at large and in chapter 14 here. Disregard it or disagree with it and therefore stumble over it. And this option, therefore, in short, is just not genuinely returning to the Lord. Essentially, it's hearing all this and thinking, hey, hey, Bible, no. no. I hear what you're saying, but I'm in the right here. You've got this wrong. I'm not that sinful like Jose has been talking about, or God isn't that loving, or even if I am that sinful and God is that loving, I don't really need to return to him. I don't really need Jesus. I'm okay. Right? That's option number one. But then option number two, which is the better option for sure, is realizing what we see here in the very center of verse 9. And that's coming to see, quote, that the ways of the Lord are right. And I know that may seem like a w weird way to end this chapter on returning. And if you've been with us throughout this whole book of Hosea about our sin and God's love, that may seem like a, a weird way to end this whole book. But if you think about it, it really is fitting. Because this idea of coming to the point of saying the ways of the Lord is, are right is simply coming to believe that God is righteous, meaning God is real and he's right on all this and he does always know and do what is right, true, good, and beautiful. And that then means this final verse and appeal here in Hosea to Israel, to you and I, to anyone all over the world is basically now asking at the end of this book, will you hear all of this? All of this about your sin, about God's grace and love in Jesus, about returning to him, about God truly embracing sinners in his love now and forever. Will you hear all that and not do anything about it? Not return? Or will you hear God say all this to you, to me, to everyone and say, yes, God, you are right in all of this. I'm the sinner. You are a loving God. And therefore, I will return to you. Return to Jesus knowing that in you, the orphan again really does find mercy. <laughs> that, that's the question we each have to answer. And really, that's how Hosea ends. And for us then, now as we start to come to end, that's, that's how we'll end as well. That's how we're really going to start to finish this morning. Because we'll end by asking this most important question. Have you genuinely returned to the Lord? 
Because remember, as we now finish this whole book, remember, this whole book was written for this purpose. Because this is what was Israel's problem as a whole. Israel's problem back then wasn't primarily that they were just messing up here and there. Although they were. Instead, the issue was that the majority of people back then at Israel, in Israel at this time, which remember, these were people who grew up hearing the Bible. These were people who knew a lot about God. These were people who did a lot of religious and spiritual things. Meaning, these were people who in a lot of ways were like you and I here this morning. But the major issue was that most of them didn't genuinely have a relationship with the Lord. <laughs> they didn't trust God. They hadn't ever in their lives, with their sins, genuinely returned to the Lord like this. And that's why Hosea ends like this, with this appeal to whoever to now really do that. And so again, that is how we'll end asking, have you done this? That's the question to ask yourself genuinely, even right now. The question isn't, are you spiritual? Are you religious? Do you go to church in some ways? Instead, the question is, have I taken my sins? And, and not only felt sorry for them, but, but said, God, I don't trust you and love you like I should. But I do know that in you I find mercy. I turn to you. I turn to Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. And I trust him and want him as my Lord and Savior. Have you personally done that? Or is all this talk about Jesus and God and returning and God's love just mere words or tradition to you like it was to a lot of them? Because as we end this whole book of Hosea, I do just pray that it's not mere words or tradition to anyone in here, but it's genuine. And so one last time, I do pray that you return to God in Christ if you haven't yet. Do that now or, or even later today because whatever it takes, it's God who in love is appealing to every person here in Hosea 14 to really turn to him. And so I just beg of you in love to not even let today go by and not have genuinely returned to the Lord like this. But then finally, brothers and sisters, for those of us who by God's grace have returned... Finally, in this whole book of Hosea, one last time, after all that we've seen, let's just leave this book now remembering that this book, yes, does really show us who we are in our sin. But also, this book does really show us who our God is. <laughs> he sees our sin. He deals with it on the cross. He, he forgives us. He heals us. He takes us in. And he's like that towards us now. And he'll be like that toward us forever. And Why? Why is God like that toward us? Well, because the living God truly is love. I hope after spending time in this book, we know that more and more now, that the one and only God is a God of love more than we can even imagine, and he has shown that to us in Christ. And so church, let's now go out from here today and, and believe all this. Let's live in light of this. And especially at a time like this at Christmas season, let's go out from here and share this. <laughs> all for Jesus' glory, for all our good, and for the good of the world that so desperately needs to hear about this God. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Let's pray.